Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to episode 98 of the Cloudcast. Uh, we are back in our massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina, after a couple of weeks of being on the road. Aaron, how are you tonight, man? I'm doing good, doing good. Good. You've been, uh, you were out in Portland, or, or one, of the, one of the open source cities last week. Yeah, yeah, I was out in that town where it's hard to tell the, the hipsters from the homeless people, absolutely. <laughs> so you got a bunch of good shows done. Um, how was OSCON? It was really good. Um, so that was my first kind of open sourcey, uh, you know, major big time conference, and it was honestly just an amazing experience. A um, lot of great speakers, a lot of great sessions. Uh, was able to record a lot of really good podcasts, and, and just a great overall experience. Yeah, you've been cranking them out, so very cool. Um, I know we're getting a decent uh, set of new listeners from the stuff around open source. I think folks like it, so uh, we'll we'll keep doing that. And if and if we drive people crazy with us, let us know. We'll. Uh, We'll back off on it a little bit. So um, tonight, you know, for a long time, you and I, we're, we're up to almost show 100. We've talked about Amazon a whole bunch of times. and We've talked to various vendors who provide services that work with Amazon, whether it's Cloud Passage or Cloud... Uh, um, Cloudability. Cloudability or Stratius <laughs> or RightScale. A lot of guys who do tooling around AWS. Um but we've never really had a really in-depth AWS discussion. You know, we've talked about the idea of, you know, going and talking to Jeff Barr. And we thought, you know, we'd be better off talking to people that are living and breathing it every day as opposed to sort of the vendor side of things. So tonight we're, we're really excited. We've been trying for a long time uh, to get our guests tonight. Uh, Brian McCallion, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. And yeah, glad to be on here. Yeah, so... Uh, yeah, so we've been we've been going back and forth trying to, to work out some scheduling stuff as we always have struggles with. But um, so so Brian uh, so Brian uh, runs uh, Bronze Drum Bronze Drum Consulting uh, Strategy and, and Solutions Architect. A ton of work you're doing all the time around AWS. Give us a little bit of your background. Uh, what you you know kind of your background as it got into cloud, and then your background a little bit as it as it you know evolved around AWS. I was a developer in the 90s, and then I, I moved into things like middleware, and I, I started, I worked in mostly financial firms and media firms, big companies with, um, well, financial firms, very rigid policies, very, very focused on, on security, and, and also very low tolerance for uncertainty, and I also worked in media companies like advertising, like Ogilvy and Mather. So I guess one of the things that I got into was automation, deployment automation, configuration management. And I had a startup for about three years that focused on on marketing and selling a, a product that I developed as a result of some of my experience at those companies. And then I, got, I decided to get out of that business and I took up consulting as cloud strategy and, and um, architect. So that's been my kind of um, my path through to the cloud. Okay. So... And today I work with, I've been working with some, with a lot of different business units in Fortune 500 companies that I, I get the impression that they're fairly... I mean, when you look at what people 
the startups are doing in Amazon, the maturity in terms of cloud that these companies have is is relatively low. They're they're still trying to apply things that they're familiar with in the data center to what what they see in the cloud. So if they've got a server in the data center, they want to to get they want to do the same thing in the cloud. They just want to be able to, they think they're going to save money and they think that they're going to be able to essentially manage it themselves. So there's a lot of, there are a lot of things in the cloud that they don't expect. And, but at the same time, they're crazy for it. So for example, nobody I work with, no business executive ever talks about anything but Amazon. They, they want Amazon. That's all they want. And they know that that's exactly what they need. And they don't know why. But, um, you know, by and large, the challenge of working with them is to help them bridge what what it's like to work in a corporate data center where you have a large support staff and very siloed specific roles and then be able to help them to make good decisions and provide them with some structure for how to do things in Amazon without without taking on so much risk that it overwhelms them. Yeah. Okay. So, so let's just, sort, let's just sort of start with that. So, um, you know, so you mentioned you're working with sort of a lot of the lines of business, which, you know, in a lot of the discussions we have with people, the, those are the, those are the groups that in the past had maybe gone to it, it couldn't service them fast enough or the types of requests they had were, you know, didn't really fit the right budget model for it or the right, whatever, like, how are you? How are you finding those folks are, are are getting engaged around AWS? Are they? Is it? Are they starting with a IT couldn't do something for me, and so I'm going around them? Or did they? Are they learning about it through you know various webinars and seminars and, and folks like you? Or what, what's the what's their engagement with AWS typically? The impression I get is that some firms, some Fortune 500 firms, have CIOs who kind of get it that. They recognize that on some level they're not going to be relevant to the business if all they do is tell them that they have to do stuff in the corporate data center. So, yes, there is rogue IT, but these guys that I work with are actually they have CIO approval, and actually the companies have cloud-first policies. So they're encouraging. They're actually pushing their business segments to go to the cloud. Okay. And and it, it, they at the same time, put it. At the same time, they're not really sure what the strategy is going to be, so they don't give them a specific roadmap. Is what I see. So the CIOs will say, "Okay, it's cloud first, but they don't really tell. They don't really provide a structured plan for how they're going to get there. It's. I don't know if it's because. They feel that they get a lot of pushback and a lot of uncertainty and questions if they gave them instructions. Like sometimes when you're trying to affect a change, if you tell people, okay, do this and do this and this, if the culture is change averse, then people find a lot of good reasons not to do things. Like everything you suggest to them, they'll, they'll have good reasons, you know, very logical reasons not to do them. Gotcha. I, I don't know if it's by accident or by design, but ultimately <laughs> they do. They you know they tell them you know go out to the cloud, you know do stuff, and they do it. Um, one thing that I think they put in place, which is really was really smart, and that's something that that I've 
it's been an interesting journey is working with corporate security. So they hired a really, really strong security advisor who has got a a really strong name in security, but also really understands cloud. And it's interesting just over the last couple of years to see how things have changed from where security was very, very restrictive and basically said no all the time, even though, you know, as as I've come to know, basically they want to say yes, at least, you know, these guys do. But, you know, one of the things that I think is interesting about, for me, my journey with Amazon is that, for example, in 2011, in 2012, we were trying to do a, a large, we were doing our ratings application and we wanted to migrate it to cloud and they were extremely supportive. But, you know, one of the things was is that Amazon didn't offer the kinds of things that we needed to be able to do to feel like the risk was manageable for that kind of a a product or that kind of a a platform. So, for example, encryption and high availability of databases, virtual private cloud, those things were pretty new at that point. For example, Amazon's relational database service for Oracle, at that point, it was not something that would work in a VPC. You could get a standalone instance. You couldn't seem to get something that would do failover and those, you know, when when the corp when when the customer is looking at cloud, they're like, okay, well, you know, how do I get Oracle Rack? Is the, one of the early questions that they ask. Gotcha. You know, where's my Rack Oracle Rack? You know, where's my high availability? And at that point, 2012, that wasn't something that they could get. And the other thing was IOPS. They couldn't get the IOPS that they believed that they needed, and they were generally locked into packaged applications, so they couldn't really change the way they were doing things to take it to, to make it scale horizontally. They tended to scale vertically. And the other thing that was a mismatch in almost every case was the desire to have some kind of a, a NAS storage. They wanted to have something that they could mount. Instead, Amazon offered them S3, and that really, really bothered you know, that really kind of made people very uncomfortable. And they were like, okay, well, we just want to put a file server up. And they didn't really understand well, if we do that, then we basically compromise the availability of our applications. So anyway, that was what it was like in 2012, most of 2012, 2013, two, later in 2012, like maybe Q4, 2012 and, and 2013. Actually, one of the things that was really a big deal this year was the introduction of transparent data encryption for Oracle RDS. That was something where if, if I didn't have that, I, I would get security would, would say, look, you know, if you don't have that, you have to be able to encrypt the file system. You have to be able to do encryption. So you can't use a managed service. And my feeling was, if we used the alternative, something like uh, Oracle Data Guard, and we did encrypt, and we and we used um, encryption there, <clears throat> then my feeling was, well, one I guess, and this goes to one of the challenges that that you find when you try to build corporate applications in the cloud is that people in corporate America, IT people or any people. They don't like to work like 24 hours a day, and they don't like to get calls in the middle of the night. 
and they don't like to try a bunch of new stuff that's going to make, you know, that's going to cause everybody a lot of anxiety and worry. They like to do things the way they already do them, or they, they're just not as adventurous. So, you know, some people are, but by and large, the teams, you know, you get these matrix, like a matrix, you get a matrix of people who, who basically report to your project, and you, ha- you can't, it, to a certain extent, you can't really go beyond the comfort level of that group. So having services that enable you to provide the kinds of things that make people feel comfortable or that simply eliminate a lot of the manual labor and the skills that are required to build highly available applications in Amazon, if you build them from scratch, you're just not going to find that on most corporate teams or maybe you won't find that on most teams ever. So one of the things that was a really was really an enabling capability this year was transparent data encryption for Oracle RDS. That was something I've been speaking with Amazon about since I think October of 2012. And you know, finally, I had a project where we had to have it cost the customer about $100,000 to license it for the application. But overall, it, it was the right decision because it enabled them to do what they needed to do with the application team and in the timeline that they had and to leverage technology like RDS that enabled us to provision a a development, a QA, a beta, in a production environment in 20 minutes. And then when we found out that this application, which had this huge batch of like 500 million records that it had, I mean, maybe it's not huge by the startup standards, but it was, it was a lot of stuff that they had to do, and that kind of a that kind of a technology was nice because it gave them the kind of stability that they needed, the encryption that they needed, and also it gave them the ability to rely on a service rather than have to suddenly train a team to be able to build these highly available applications in Amazon. Gotcha. So gotcha. I don't know that's. Those are some of the recent experiences I've had with these corporate teams and some of the things that I've discovered about working with Amazon. So, for example, I try to always consume services rather than build stuff from scratch. That tends to go against the grain of what the corporate data center wants to do. In corporate America, they want to... IT generally wants to build out services that are going to be shared services. That's sort of like... I don't know when they started learning that or when they when they'll stop uh, Interesting. believing so. that that's the way to do it. But today they generally try to build things in house and they try to they they tend to avoid services and they tend to think in terms of building out these these platforms or large platforms, but to build them from infrastructure that is bespoke that where they've designed every single element. And the business hates that because it takes forever. And a lot of the time, it just doesn't work out. It doesn't work out on a project level. It might work out, um, I mean, if you're doing a corporate identity system, it might work out on that scale. But if you have an individual project and you don't have any kind of LDAP or identity service, you think it would be easy. You could just subscribe to something or you could stand up a, a couple of LDAP servers, but then 
almost immediately there's people standing up and saying, well, no, you have to use the corporate service. So, you know, you have to do that through a VPN. And then you're like, oh, okay. And then you try to do that, and they're like, oh, and by the way, you know, we, you have to create all these rules and you have to go through all these, every single port you want to open up to that cloud, you know, have to go back and get approval. And it just becomes kind of like, it, it kind of grinds you down. So yeah. on the whole, it's just a lot easier to consume services that are already running in Amazon or offered by Amazon. One of the advantages of, of getting services from Amazon is that another another thing about corporate America is that when you do choose a vendor, so once you've chosen Amazon, you, you've chosen a vendor, you've gone through this vendor selection process, and now you've got this trusted, you know, you've got a vendor, maybe, you know, maybe they're not entirely trusted. People are like, okay, it's Amazon. They still think of Amazon as a startup, even though it's like usually five or ten times bigger than they are, but they still think of Amazon as kind of a sketchy startup. And, but at the same time, you know, that's where they're going to their cloud. And so, but the good thing about Amazon is that they keep offering these new services. So, I want to go and get something from a third party that's not Amazon, that is a whole big problem because now I have to go through a whole vendor selection process and I have to get in a whole, like a, a, an engineering group to vet like five different products and choose one because they don't like to think about getting a product for a specific project. They are like, okay, well, this is going to be whatever product we choose. You know, you may want to do this project, but we're not going to just approve a product for you for this project. We have to basically try to find something that's going to be around for a hundred years and that everybody's going to be able to use. Right. Right. And so, so, so you get into these situations where you want to do something that's fairly essential and critical, but the whole company, it's almost like they rise up against you. They're like, no, you know, you want to do something, but, um, you know, we need to have, you know, we need to play, you know, we need to do our stuff. It's like, you can't take that away from us because, just because you're doing cloud. It's like, you, you may be going to the cloud, but, you know, because you're still, still tethered to the organization, one way or the other, you, you have to still kind of, um, you have to pay, you have to sort of play this game where, where um, you, you have to let people do their thing. It's very political, I guess, is what you could say about it. Yeah. So, if you if you can choose services, you get away from that to a large extent. If you have to if you have to go to a third party, it gets very it gets very complicated and slow. So anyway, gotcha. I'll take a break. <laughs> <laughs> so but so it's interesting. So so you you basically you're 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 working in a situation where like you you said early on, you know the, the CIO for various reasons kind of said, okay, I'm, I'm opening the doors. Uh, I'm going to let Amazon be, be part of what their enterprise IT looks like. Um, not a lot of guidelines. And, and then what you sort of ran into was even though he didn't have a whole lot of strict guidelines, people tended to go back to kind of their native behavior. He didn't create a team sort of dedicated to Amazon and, and only focused on new services and new applications. It was this you know, we're going to, we're going to kind of build an evolution of our applications. And that, 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 that's an interesting, it's an interesting example. We don't, you don't hear about that very often. I'm, I'm curious, you know, from, from you talking to other folks that are in similar positions as you, how, how, how much do you see that, um, you know, kind of legacy applications or extensions of legacy applications into Amazon versus, versus people doing stuff in new ways? 
I tend to see, well, for example, if I ask the developers, what is it that, that, you know, I've asked the question quite a few times, you know, what is it that you're really, you know, what is the key benefit that you're looking for in Amazon? One of the most common answers is, well, you know, we want auto-scaling because we don't want to really worry about, you know, ha- not having enough capacity. Right. So, but I haven't actually seen... That sounds like a terrible secret, but I haven't actually seen a single application that can auto-scale, which is kind of funny. Like, people think, oh, you know, you're going to go to Amazon and, like, the auto-scaling is built in, but they don't understand, for example, that you have to design for that and that to be able to actually start an instance up and actually have it do a bunch of stuff and, and be able to go into service, that breaks, that makes, it really goes against the grain of the way a lot of corporate systems are deployed. A lot of the stuff I see that's deployed in the data center is still deployed manually, yeah. which is, you know, fine, I guess, if you're going to think, I mean, it's really not fine, but it's not a value judgment. It's just, you know, it's preference, maybe, or if right. you can afford it, I guess you can do it. And, you know, you can off if, you, if you're, you know, if you sort of don't have enough people, but you still want to do it manually, you can, you can go offshore and get more people, to, you know, do more things manually, you know, continue to do it manually. And, you know, continue to do it the same way. Right, right. Now, you know, you were you were talking a little bit early on about um, you, you kind of have something in mind with what you're trying to do, and then you're you're trying to figure out how to do that in Amazon. Do you, do you leverage a native service, or do you like how much do you find you're spending your time, kind of you you personally out playing around with some of the the, the new services of Amazon, talking directly to their systems engineers, their technical people, trying to figure out like how does it really work? Can I can I work around something? Can I combine two services to make it look like this thing that I want? Like how how much are you having to sort of use, you know, bubblegum and duct tape and things to 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 sort of create a, a service or a capability because it doesn't match what a traditional IT way of doing thing is? Do you, are you spending a lot of time doing that? Is that I mean, you no, know, actually, cur- I guess curiosity? what I spend a lot of time doing is trying to, I try to figure out, I, I guess I spend a lot of time trying to understand Amazon services and trying to understand how they work together. And I guess it seems like it should be pretty simple, but for example, you know, we're not really allowed to put stuff on S3 if, unless it's encrypted. Okay. So, and it's not okay, it's not okay to do server-side encryption, right? So we have to do client-side encryption. But, you know, one of the things that's a mismatch is that you'd think encryption wouldn't be such a big deal, but the thing is that when you build stuff in the internal data center, I don't. there's not a lot of stuff that gets encrypted. Right. I mean, you know, that maybe doesn't apply everywhere, but that's what I see is that when you go to the cloud, things that might be good practices like having LDAP or having encryption, You'd think that would all be common, but to a certain extent, there's a sense of safety in the data center, that the internal network is safe, that the cloud is dangerous. So in a sense, the cloud becomes this kind of projection of all the anxiety and all the concerns, and even even this conflict between the business and IT gets played out in the cloud to a large extent, is, is what I see. Okay, so you're almost seeing people... You know, I'll talk to, I'll talk sometimes to to my SEs or I'll talk to you know clients and customers, and and they kind of go, 
well, I'd like the cloud to do this. And, it, and in essence, it's basically all the things that, that they can't really do internally themselves. Like you said, it's, it's auto scaling. It's, you know, they want it to be CapEx based. So it's low cost. Maybe they, they want everything encrypt, you know, all traffic encrypted or whatever it is. Do you see that where it's sort of like, Hey, um, it's, it's supposed to be this new awesome thing. I'm, you know, I want all the stuff that I never could get internally because somehow it must be better. Do you, do you kind of get that sense? I mean, that, that kind of feels like sort of what you're saying is... Yeah, it's kind of like if you were to go to Neverland and suddenly you can fly, but, you know, all that freedom is kind of a problem because then you realize, well, you know, where would I fly to? You know, what would I actually do? <laughs> you know, all those restrictions and all those things that slow everybody down, you know, what if you could go fast? What would you actually do? Then you might fail. Or, you know, something might, you know, then you, you, you know, something might break or you might get so I guess the thing is is that maybe a lot of the things that people can I think for example I think that the cloud to a large extent helps I personally think that the architecture the design the the quality of the solutions is much better in the cloud it's much more rigorous and I like that actually yeah. And I think no. that maybe I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was I was going to say so you bring up an interesting point there though of so I think it was I don't know, I want to say it was the Packet Pushers podcast. Um I I was listening to recently but they brought up a very interesting point in in that fact that they really felt like AWS or, or really public cloud in general w- wasn't necessarily competitive a lot of times the use cases or workloads were more additive that it was actually new things that you couldn't do before and so i just kind of wanted to run that by you of is that truly what you're seeing is this almost like really new use cases and new workloads that that typically don't exist um inside data centers today I think that one of the big advantages of putting stuff out in the cloud is that, you know, people talk about the security, but, you know, you're actually solving a very different problem than what you're solving in the internal data center. So if you have a lot of information that you publish and, you know, people who subscribe to it, corp to corp, then you've got internal teams that are tasked with developing new products. So one of the things that I think is interesting about the cloud is that in order to be able to get stuff out there, you have to solve these security problems. Like, how do I put stuff out in this public area and let people get access to it? It's no longer my firewall, you know, completely walled walled in. How do I, and people don't have to VPN. If I can solve those problems, you know, I can put APIs around it, then I can actually get all these people, I can actually increase the, the, the demand for and the value of my stuff because, you know, now people can could conceivably figure out use cases uses for it that that I'm not going to be able to figure out. With even if I hire ten thousand people and fifty teams to focus on this one thing, it's very unlikely that I'm going to get the diversity and the perspective to actually unlock the value. So I think that when people solve these problems of security and how to share stuff, how to make it available, and reliable, I think they're actually solving a problem that gives them a competitive advantage. I think that's actually a new problem that they haven't solved and that I think that companies that do solve that problem are going to enjoy something of of a 
of an opportunity, an economic opportunity, because not solving that problem is kind of like the same approach that borders took to e-commerce. Is like, you know, Amazon's doing it, but look, we've got all this real estate, we've got these great stores, we've got coffee inside these stores, you know, we've got all this stuff, we've basically got it locked up, and we've got 100 years' experience selling books, and people like to buy these tangible books. But I think when companies start to, you know, when, when older companies or, or old school companies start to appreciate the fact that they can unlock substantial value from stuff that they've already got if they solve these cloud problems, I think that's a whole different scenario. You're no longer talking about just new use cases. You're really talking about building IT to solve entirely different business problems to actually get into a, into a, that you're not really participating in the economy unless you can develop these capabilities. So I think there's that. I think that's the macro view of, of where I think businesses are going into cloud. And then I think that one of the, one of the services I really like from Amazon is Redshift. I think that that's a really good product for, for, um, for corporations or for for these kind of data problems that are really, really difficult to solve in IT. It's really difficult to get the budget to stand up these systems, even small ones, and the risk of failure is pretty high, and getting people to actually focus and to really give their full attention to making a product like a project like that successful internally is, is really difficult. And the penalty for failure is, you know, we can't hide all this stuff that we bought. So I, I think that the big data application, I think that Amazon's pretty much got perfect pitch when it comes to something like Redshift. I think that's a product that it really, really fits the kind of, it really, they really seem to understand what are the kind of problems that people in enterprise have when it comes to, I guess, deploying or building a, a platform for the data. So, for example, they've got the encryption, they've got it in a VPC, they've got it, um, it, they've got it, it uses a SQL interface. It, it just works really, really well. Right. So it and, sort of it provides, provides the right set of tools with sort of the right, you know, introductory economic sweet spot for people to get started with it. And then kind of once, once your data is in there, you're, you're probably going to get used to that operating model, I would think. Right, and I think, you know, I think it's maybe at least in the cloud, cloud people have this idea that compute tends to follow data. So, you know, Redshift is a great way of getting data into the cloud. It's kind of like, you know, it, it, it does, I think it does pull a lot of data. Yep. I, one of the things I've worked on over the last six months is a, a big, like, I don't know, it's not really big, but like a, a data warehouse, like a six terabyte data warehouse with a bunch of information about consumer products and preferences. Mm -hmm. And that stuff, you have to have it encrypted and you have to, you know, there's a bunch of rules around it and it's very, it's very, it's very challenging to do that right. Gotcha. And I think you can build it yourself, but I think Redshift solves a lot of those problems much more easily and much more cost-effectively. You know, again, I said before, 
like if I want to get Oracle's transparent data encryption lead main security module, I don't know. I, I mean, I've seen projects spend over $100,000 to get that capability. With Redshift, for example, that comes built into the product, which is pretty incredible. Yeah. So it's yeah. not even about the compute or the storage, but you've also got the encryption that you need in order to be able to do this kind of stuff, you know, relatively safely or to okay. do it all, you know, in most corporations. Gotcha. Let me, let so me ask you. That, yeah. that Redshift for me is, I see that as a, is a dramatic evolution. So, for example, from where they were in June of 2012 to where they are today, I think it's incredible that they were able to come up with something like Redshift that fast, okay. personally. Interesting. Interesting. Let, let me ask you one last question because we're, we're sort of hitting that mark where, where folks uh, – you know, know the show's getting towards the end. So, you know, you've been, you've been working on this, you know, personally, uh, various clients for about three years. Say you've been working on this last project for a couple of years. You've been talking about this kind of evolution and some of the friction that still goes on. Just, just your gut feel based on, you know, what you've been dealing with or talking to other people, like how long do you think it takes a typical IT organization, especially if they've got some freedom from their CIO, to, to kind of get to where they can use Amazon efficiently, right? They're, they're past the learning curve. Wow. Is it, is, is two years about right? Is it, is it longer than that? Um, any gut feel for that? I think it's a little longer personally. I think that I had a, I've had pretty, I think my experience has been fairly unique. I think most of the people I know who worked in larger enterprises, they're basically just, kind of putting their toe in the water and, and they'll talk about use cases like using it for DR. I mean, my experience has been completely the opposite. Like in 2011, I was invited to work on a, a POC for this education platform that has two, two million, I guess two million registered students and to build that. And that application was, I think, $160 million a year in revenue, like real money, not just stuff that they were, not just stuff that the company was spending to offer that stuff, but that was money that actual real people were giving the company for that application. And that was something that we, you know, that I designed and, and did in starting in the fall of 2011. And I think that's really unusual. I don't think most companies of any size are, are, are trying to do that stuff. I don't think they're trying to put in real revenue applications. And I think that there's a huge difference between trying to build stuff where you just stand up a server and, you know, kind of like putting a, a flag on the moon. It's like, yeah, we're at the moon, but, you know, it's not like we, I don't know, it's not like we started mining minerals out of the moon or anything like that and sending them back home. <laughs> At this point, the moon's easy. You know, we've gotten the moon, we've gotten the Mars. I mean, you got to be you got to be looking at planets beyond that at this point. Right, right. Well, cool. Well, listen, I think uh, I, this was good. I think um, you know it's always good for us to get a sense of you know what's what's reality. I, I think you know everybody knows what Adrian and the guys in Netflix have done, and there's. There's others, but I, I think it's good for for the listeners and for us to get a sense of, you know, what's what's in what's in the middle there. What's what's going on with the transition? And, and this has been really really helpful. Um, Aaron, you want to kind of wrap it up a little bit and kind of take us home? 
Yeah, absolutely. So we are out of time for this week. Um, so, Brian, where can everyone find out more about you and your company and everything you have going on? You can find me on Twitter, my first name and last name, Brian McCallion. And I'm on LinkedIn, same name. And see, whatever. I have a website, www.bronstrom.com. And it doesn't reflect everything I want to, but that's, you know, that is a landing zone or that is a landing spot. So Twitter is really good. LinkedIn is really good. And you can stop by the website or, you know, sending me email. That That's all fine and, and welcome. Awesome. Well, Thank you. Thank you so much, Brian. So if you like the show, please tell a friend or leave us a review on iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter at thecloudcastnet or on the web at thecloudcast.net where you can find links to everything Cloudcast. Thank you, Brian, and thanks for listening. 